When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Country hitmaker Brandi Clark performs live at the Birchmere in Alexandria, Virginia on Wednesday night. She joined us last December to discuss her virtual holiday show, Christmas From Here, There, and Everywhere, as well as her latest Grammy-nominated album, Your Life is a Record, and all the hits she wrote for other artists, from Follow Your Arrow to Mama's Broken Heart. Thank you so much for joining us, Brandi. Thanks for having me. Um, if you hear any barking in the background, she's a brand new puppy owner, and so am I. We were just talking about that before we got on here. <laughs> yes, we were. The, the, uh, the joys of puppy parenthood. <laughs> awesome. Well, tell our, our listeners, it's the holiday season. Uh, Christmas is only a couple weeks away now. Um, how did this uh, virtual thing come together? So every year, I, well, the last couple years, I've, I've started doing a writing retreat in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And, you know, a lot of songs have come out of it that I'm, that I'm really proud of. And I believe that this place is really magical. And um, so I was planning on doing that again this year and then COVID happened. And so it just wasn't possible. Um, but around the same time, my manager was talking to Circle TV about doing something and came up with the, I mentioned, well, we could do a Christmas special from, from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And they loved that idea. And so what I tried to do was I tried to have guests that I would have invited to the writing retreat or that were part of my You Can't Come Over series this year that I did on YouTube. And so it's called Christmas from here, there and everywhere. And um, so I have guests coming from LA, Nashville, um, I'm drawing a blank. I was supposed to have one in Florida, but then he went up to Nashville, um, who still had him. Um, a couple of other places. I can't remember all the places everybody was at, but um, I, I just would talk to them from here before they did their performance and we'd have a little back and forth about what Christmas means to them. Favorite Christmas drinks, favorite Christmas dishes, all that stuff. And then um, they've been working really hard to edit it together. And uh, I have not seen it yet, but everyone who has on my team said it's just really spectacular. And I have gotten to see a few of the performances and those were amazing. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that you're going to have special guests. I'm reading here. It's Melissa Etheridge, Shane Mac. Actually, why don't I, could you, do you have the list in front of you? Are you able to say I, it? So I, can I don't have the list in front of me, but I think I can recall it all. Melissa Etheridge, Shane McAnally, Raina Roberts, Ashley McBride, Charlie Worsham, and Cam. I think I got everybody. Oh, man. My wife and I love Cam. We, Redwood Tree breaks me up. Wait till you hear Cam, wait till you hear her on this. She does a really, she does Silent Night and it's just, it's it's stunning. Yeah, what else, let, let me ask that. What all is in the set list if you're allowed to give us a teaser? Yeah, you know, Mo, here's what's crazy is we did this on a shoestring and I learned a lot about 
public domain versus non-public domain Christmas song. <laughs> and now every time I'm watching a movie, I'll hear like Jingle Bells and um, Silent Night and, um, you know, Holy, Oh Holy Night. And I'm like, oh, public domain, you know, they don't have to pay for those. So um, the choices were public domain or an original Christmas song. Uh, and I was surprised at how many of my guests wanted to do originals. And so I stuck to the public domain songs because I thought it would give the show some familiarity. Um, I did like Deck the Halls and Auld Lang Syne, uh, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, Joy to the World, Jingle Bells. Um, I didn't do all those completely. I did a medley. Um, and then um, Shane McAnally did an original song that he and Casey Musgraves and I wrote called Christmas Makes Me Cry. It's on uh, Casey's Christmas album. Ashley McBride did a brand new Christmas song that she had just written. Um, I think it's called All I Want for Christmas is to Get Drunk. Um, Charlie, Charlie Worsham did a, an original Christmas song. And then Raina did Oh Holy Night, beautiful version. Like I said, Cam did Silent Night. Melissa Etheridge did an original Christmas song called Glorious that's on her Christmas record. Um, so there's a really good mix of originals and then standards. Nice. Yeah, I think I, I think I remember Melissa Etheridge. I saw her at the Birchmere perform Glorious. It's, it's a great one. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, uh, take me, we have so much, it's been a big year for you with the Grammys. I want to get to that in a minute, but I like to move a little chronologically if we can. Remind our listeners, um, you know, where you grew up and, and you know, who, who your country idols were, you know, listening to the radio as a kid. I grew up in Morton, Washington, which is, um, I always tell people it's between Seattle and Portland um, because off of I-5, it's, it's kind of right in the middle and then it's about 35 miles into the mountains, um, beautiful place to grow up, beautiful place to live. I feel really lucky I grew up there, about a thousand people population, I'd say. Um, and growing up, really my only choices were country. My grandma would say country and Western. Um, I, cause I lived next door to my grandparents and the only radio station that came in really, really well was a country station. And then my grand, so I listened to that with my parents and then my grandparents, you know, their country music was a little further back. And so I, I feel like I had this treasure trove of musical influences because, you know, on the radio at that time, country radio was really kind of country pop and was the time of Ronnie Millsap. That was the first concert I ever went to. And Israel, those were the big, those were the first big stars I remember on the radio. Ronnie um, Millsap's so good, man. Oh, yeah. Smoky Mountain Rain. <laughs> yes, Smoky Mountain Rain. And then um, my grandparents, of course, were listening to like Loretta and Merle and George Jones and, you know, that those sorts of country artists. And then, you know, the really big influences I remember, though, were like Patti Loveless and Mary Chapin Carpenter, the Judds, um, George Strait. I love George Strait. Um, Kathy Matea and Susie Boggess. Like there was a time in country, on country radio when the female female country voice was really well represented. And I feel really lucky that I was, you know, in my formative musical years when that was going on. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, speaking of which, how did you, you know, you go through your formative years listening to that and then how do you actually, how do you make the move to Nashville? I guess it was in 98. Well, you know, I just, I wanted music as a career and I was lucky I had parents that pushed me towards that, you know, um, it was really important to me to finish college because I put so much time into it. Um, 
And so I, I ended up transferring to Belmont University and I finished my degree there and at the same time was pursuing music. Um, and when I moved to Nashville, I mean, it was, I felt like I had moved to a foreign country because um, it was so different than where, I, than where I was, you know, just the terrain, the interstates. I mean, I was used to calling them freeways and suddenly they were interstates. <laughs> um, all of it was different. Um, the culture was way different. But I, I'm really lucky that I had encouragement from my parents because otherwise I don't think I would have because I would have brought it up and had they said, oh, that's crazy. I would have let it go, you know, because it's a vulnerable dream to have. And so instead I had parents that said, well, you need to move to Nashville if you really want to do this. Because I knew that, you know, some people are really happy to work, you know, work in a sawmill or teaching school or whatever and work at a newspaper and then on the weekends have a band. And, and I knew when I started doing that right away that I wanted to do it all the time. And so the only way to do that was for me was to move to, I think things have changed now with the internet, but at the time, the only way to do that was to move to a city where the entertainment business was, was a real, was a real way to make a living. And for me, that was Nashville because country music was what, what I wanted to do, you know, LA would have been closer, but I wouldn't, you know, they didn't really have a country music scene. Seattle would have been really close, but it was all grunge. Um, so that was how I got there. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, all right, cool. Um, and then of course our listeners, you know, maybe if they're, maybe if they're new to, you know, hearing your actual songs, but a lot of them, maybe they might forget or didn't never knew that you wrote some of the biggest hits for some other artists first, you know, you start, you know, you moved to Nashville and then you started cranking out hits like, uh, we won't go into all of them, but um, tell me about writing uh, Mama's Broken Heart. I mean, how did that one come together out of your pen? <laughs> so that came together. I wrote that with Shane McAnally and Casey Musgraves and, um, oh, there go my dogs. There's the dog. <laughs> um, anyways, that was an idea that Shane had. He had this idea called Ain't Your Mama's Something. He didn't know what the something was. But I said to him, wow, I know what that means. I don't know what the something is, but I'd really like to write that with you. And so one day we were writing with Casey and Shane was talking about his um, sister had gone through this breakup and her, her mom was wanting her to, you know, put on makeup and go back out and find the next boyfriend. And she was just not dealing with it that way. You know, she was more wanting to sit home and eat ice cream and cry. And uh, I said, well, Shane, maybe that's that ain't your mama's something. And so the three of us wrote that that day. And, you know, I remember it being a pretty easy song to write actually. I mean, you know, it took us several hours. It took us the day, but I didn't, I don't remember it being a struggle. And then that night, Casey went home and did a work tape where she was playing two different guitars and doing some hand claps and really brought the song to life in a way that I don't think either Shane or I really knew what was there, you know? And so then Miranda heard it and recorded it and the rest is history. I love it. Um, uh, and then also, um, God, another song I love, Ben Perry's, uh, Better Dig Too. How'd you write that one? So that, once again, that was with Shane and a guy named Trevor Rosen, who's actually in the, the group Old Dominion. Um, I was leaving, it was early on in knowing Shane, I was leaving a publishing company. I'd been writing with someone else and Shane was in this room with Trevor. He yelled at me, come in there and introduced me to Trevor. I'd never met Trevor 
and um, I'd heard Shane talk about him, and this was pre Old Dominion. And we were just sitting there getting to know each other, and Trevor's really musical. And he started playing that opening lick that became Better Dig 2. And we just started writing it from the very top line. I told you on the day we wed, I was going to love you till I was dead. And usually with songs, you know, I mean, there's no wrong way, but usually for me, at least, usually there's a title. We didn't have that. So we wrote that and we all had to go home. And it was like a year later, we were on a writing retreat and Shane and Trevor and I got paired up and somebody said, what about that song we started, you know, a year ago? And Shane had it on his phone and we finished it there. And that song was actually called Put Me in the Ground. Ah. And Perry wanted to change the title to Better Dig 2, which is a way better title. Totally. I'm so glad they did that. Um, but that was a that was a really fun one. That was my first big anything, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and man, I, I'm I'm a little partial to country, but I'm hoping Van Perry veers back towards country more than the pop. I love them as that that dig two type of country man. Um, oh, me too. Me too. <laughs> I mean, um, if I die young is an all like a top hundred all timer. If if you made if I made a list, I'd put that on. I freaking love that song. Um, anyway, and then um, maybe one more. Um, uh, Follow your arrow. You co-wrote that. I did once again. That was with Shane and Casey. Um, we wrote that. That was I thought Casey's record was done. I think she thought it was done too. And we were writing, uh, well, I guess she didn't think it was done because she said, she came in and she had this little poem she had written to a friend of hers that was going to Europe for a couple of months. And it just said, um, smoke lots of joints and kiss lots of boys, and follow your arrow. And she wanted to turn that into a song and wanted to, I remember her saying, I want to have arrows in the artwork of my album. And so we wrote that and, you know, the, it started out as kind of a bummer for me because I had another song that Casey had recorded and then they recorded Follow Your Arrow and it knocked that song out. And I thought, well, there goes my chance at having a single on Casey's record because I thought the other song was more of a radio single. Now in the end, it was better for me because that song ended up being CMA Song of the Year. And even though it never charted very high on country radio, <clears throat> it was really a game changer for Casey. And a song that when I tell people I'm a writer on, they just freak out, you know, way more than songs I've had that have gotten higher chart position. So that song was really a gift. Oh, it was a gift to all of us too. Thank you for writing it. Um, all right, cool. So that's a, I wanted to give our listeners a little taste of, you know, some of the ones you wrote for other artists. Um, but then, um, more importantly, for your, you know, own solo career, you finally get to step out in the spotlight for your debut album, um, 12 Stories in 2013. Um, I know you brought Crazy Women back for that. Um, mm -hmm. And you, I, I believe you get nominated, you know, what was it like, you know, you're getting Grammy nods for writing for other people, but finally you have, you're getting best new artists at the Grammys, you know, your, your album, your own album's getting nominated. Like, well, how cool is it that that first debut album is, is finally, you're getting name recognition yourself. It, I mean, it changed my life. There's no doubt. And I still remember where I was. I, I remember I wanted that album to get nominated so bad for the Grammys and it did. And I was getting ready. I was actually flying to Albuquerque. I was playing a show with Leanne Womack that night in Albuquerque. And so I got on the plane and I knew that um, my album was nominated and I was so excited. And then um, and, and I was just living in that excitement. And then we landed and 
people turned on their phones that were in my band and stuff and they started screaming, you know, while we were on the runway because I'd been nominated for best new artist. I had no, I mean, there was no, there wasn't even like 1% of me that had even thought of that. So that was amazing. I mean, I was literally, I was on cloud, I'm not even says on cloud nine, I was like on cloud 99, it was crazy. And then I got to perform on the Grammys with Dwight Yoakam, who's a real personal hero of mine. That was oh incredible. I still have people that come and see me that say, I saw you on the Grammys with Dwight. Like that was their introduction to me. What'd you perform and, um, What song? We performed Hold My Hand off of that album. Oh, nice. And that was, it was just, it was incredible. Um, it was, you know, one of the best, you know, I always says like the best two minutes and 30 seconds of my life. <laughs> this far that was just it was just amazing i i don't even really have words for it um it's just crazy oh dwight dwight's a king we had t this damn pandemic canceled our t we had tickets to go see dwight and we we've we've been waiting for like two years now <laughs> oh well he's, he's the best that, i've toured with him a bit and his he's amazing live Oh, a thousand miles from nowhere. It might be my, oh, that's just, it's great. Heart bruises on my memory. And I mean, the lines in that song. Anyway. Um, all right, cool. And then your second album, Big Day in a Small Town, 2016. Um, you just, you know, you proved you weren't just some one, one album wonder. Um, I loved, my, my wife and I saw you open for Tanya Tucker down at Wolf Trap. And our oh, song yeah. off of that album that we loved and were cracking up, you know what I'm going to say probably, Hope you have a daughter. Tell me about how that, <laughs> that came together. I love that you love that song. So I was writing with Jesse Joe Dillon and Jeremy Spillman, and we were writing something else. And something got brought up. Jesse Joe had been out the night before, and she had seen this guy who will remain nameless, but he's a pretty popular artist, doing some really degrading things to women. And, you know, it made Jesse mad, which it would make anybody mad. And she's like, I hope this happens to him and that happens to him. I said, you know what I hope happens to him? She said, what? I said, I hope he has a daughter. Because all those things that he's doing to those women won't be so funny when they're being done to his daughter. <laughs> and even if they don't get done to her, he's going to have to think that they might. And so that's where that Jeremy just started singing. I hope you have a daughter. You know, like it just that's where that came from. And um, I was so happy that that song ended up on that album. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we, I, I, I crack up every time I hear it. I, and that it's, it's a great album. So congrats on album number two. Um, and then I guess that brings us full circle. Album number three, uh, Your Life is a Record. I mean, this one needs no introduction right now. Your congrats. Uh, you just got nominated a couple weeks ago for two Grammy nominations, uh, Best Country Album for Your Life is a Record and Best Solo Country Performance for Who You Thought I Was. Um, how, tell, take me into the writing of Who You Thought I Was. I mean, that feels like a really personal um, single. It is, and you know, it came from, I was at the Americana Awards a couple of years ago and John Prine came out to introduce Iris Dement. And there wasn't a voice of God, like nobody said John Prine, he just walked out. Right. and everybody stood up for a long time. And I, I think it made him, I think he thought he was gonna cry. I don't know, I wasn't inside his head, but that was the feeling I got. And so when everybody sat down, he said, well, I'm John Prine, but I'd like to go back to being who you thought I was. And mm. it really hit me. Like it hit me as a person, as a human, you know, who's messed up at times and, 
and wanted to go back to being who different people thought I was and not even messed up. Just like, man, I wish I could have been who that person really wanted me to be. You know, um, it hit me that way first. It made me cry. And then maybe John wasn't going to cry. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. And then it hit me as a songwriter, like, wow, that's a great song idea. And I was sitting amongst a lot of really great songwriters. So I thought, man, I better write that like tomorrow. And, um, I was going in to write with Jesse Joe Dillon and Jonathan Singleton. And I had told Jesse about the idea. We're good friends before the write. She's like, Oh, I love that. You know, maybe Jonathan will want to write that. And so we were sitting there and talking about different ideas and Jesse's like, B, what about that, that idea you were telling me about? And I said, yeah. And I, and I told, you know, said the idea in front of Jonathan and he's like, Oh, I love that. And so we wrote it and I always thought of it as a, as a male song, you know, and Jonathan sang the demo. Jonathan's a great singer. And right before I was going in to make this record, it kept sort of coming back to me. And I thought, well, I should at least play it for my manager and A&R guys in case I'm missing it. And I played it for my manager first. And she said, Oh, you've got to record that song. And not only do you have to record it, but don't change don't change cowboy to cowgirl or don't change Elvis. Like keep it exactly like it is. Um, and I said, yeah, I was kind of worried that it was a male song. She's like, no, I think it's an everybody's song, but don't, don't change those things that are, you know, really strongly male, just sing it the way it is. And, um, I did. And, you know, it went from being something the week before the album that wasn't even in the mix to the first single. So, um, I'm really happy it ended up on there. Wow, and I didn't, I didn't even know the connection with John Prine. And sadly, of course, you know, COVID stole him from us. He died a couple months ago. Um, I think we also, we've also lost Joe Diffie and Char- just Charlie Pride this year. I mean, it's been a, a, a rough year for all these singer, songwriter, country legends. Um, yeah. So why, you know, talk, it's been, but let's try to end on a hopeful note. You know, we've lost so many people and so many people are hurting around the country and it's just a stressful time. Why is this Christmas show you're doing to bring it full circle? You know, why is the Christmas show going to hopefully uplift us in such what's been a dark year? Well, my hope, and I think the hope of everybody that was a guest is to, to be, the show's 44 minutes. I learned that too. An hour show with commercials is 44 minutes, or at least it, it is on circle. In that, in that time, I hope to make people uh, forget a little bit about what's gone on this year. Not, not, you know, I don't think we should ever forget it, but, you know, maybe, maybe get lost back in their childhood of Christmas and maybe feel a little closer to people that they can't be with right now. I hope the show will do that. Um, I hope they'll laugh. There are some funny songs. Um, and funny moments. And, and, you know, um, there are some tender touching moments. So I just hope everybody, when they watch it, feels a little less alone. Yeah, we hope so too. Um, Thanks so much for joining us. This was great. Thanks, Jason. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.